Hi, my name is Gabrielle McElroy. Welcome to Lit Crit Podcast. I'm so excited to have you listening in. Seeing how this is our first official podcast ever, which is so crazy, I can't even believe that I'm saying it crazy. I wanted you guys to get to know a little bit about me and a little bit about the podcast. So let's just jump right in. I, like I said, my name is Gabrielle McElroy. I'm 20 years old. I am a junior in college. I'm double majoring English and political science, so I stay pretty busy. I don't have a lot of free time, but when I do, you can either find me curled up with a good book and usually a cup of coffee, or as of late, it's been a lot of chai tea. I don't really know why, but it has been. Um, I'm kind of a coffee and a chai tea addict, so you'll probably hear me talk about what new coffee or tea I'm trying. So kind of stay tuned for that. If you have any good recommendations, send them to our Instagram or my Instagram, which is lit.crit.podcast. Check it out. It's super aesthetic. One of my best friends, she's helping me. She's doing all the visuals for it. So it looks so beautiful, so amazing. She's so talented. Her name's Morgan. So sweet. So she's done an amazing job with it. Could not be more thankful. So yeah, check out our Instagram, check out my Instagram. Let's see. Uh, And like I said, when I'm not reading or drinking coffee, I'm usually writing something like I, I am doing a letter writing program as of right now. So I've been writing letters and I love writing letters because there's just something so, I don't even know, like era stricken about it. It just feels like such a nod to our past and like a nod to history. And I just love that that tradition continues you know I feel like letters used to be the only way of correspondence and so you know we have so much technology around us you know we can email we can text we can call we can FaceTime we can zoom and the thing about letters that I love is that it's just it's just such a peaceful nod to our history because before everything else there were letters and that's how people communicated so I just think it's so beautiful um I am a dog mom. I've got two golden retrievers. They are the most precious thing in the entire world. One of them is actually named Annabeth after Annabeth Chase from the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series, which I was hoping that when I named her that, that people were going to ask me like, oh, like, what'd you name your dog after? And I was going to be like, oh my gosh, like it's after one of my favorite characters from this book. And then like nobody ever asked me. So it was kind of sad. But if that doesn't tell you what a book, like what a big book nerd and like English major I am, I don't really think anything will. Um, a little bit about this podcast though. I am an English major and I have always loved literature. I've always loved analyzing it. I've always loved talking about it, reading about the literature. And that was something that was important to me. That was something that I enjoyed doing and I didn't really have an outlet for that. And so this podcast seemed like the perfect place to kind of do an open forum for my literature talk in a sense. And that's why it's called Lit Crit as kind of a nod to literary criticism. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Get it guys. It's kind of funny. Um, but I love literature and I love talking about it, but I would love this to kind of be a two-way conversation between myself and you guys in a sense. I know podcasts normally aren't that, but I would love for you guys to send in book recommendations, different takes that you had on the book that I'm reviewing, you know, questions, comments, anything that you guys would want to say or have read or have me talk about. I would love to do that. So you can send all those in, DM me at, like I said, lit.crit.com dot podcast. Check us out.
Um, but yes, submit all those. I would love to hear from you guys. And I think the important thing about literature for me is I was reading this book and it says in the book that literature is immortalized, but we are not. And I think that's so true. And that's what I love about reading is that books are essentially immortalized. They don't change. They don't, they don't falter they don't waver they are what they are and they live on forever in a sense the story doesn't change they are what they are and that's what I love and every time that you read it it breathes new life into it but it's constant it's consistent it never evolves it never changes what we see how we grow what we view changes and that's what I love about literature is that the book itself stays the same but we grow with it and we give it new life every single time we read it so I thought that was super cool And that's almost kind of like a nod to some of the great authors like F. Scott Fitzgerald and Tolstoy and, you know, those authors that their literature has been frozen in time but read for years and years and years and enjoyed and talked about. So I can't wait to get started. I'll also be dropping some playlists that I feel like are inspired by the book. Um, I don't know about you guys, but after I read a good book, I'm not ready for it to be over. So after I like I'm done thinking about it and everything that follows after Sue. I go on um, my streaming services and I look for playlists that people have created that are kind of inspired after the book. So I'll be talking about those. I'll be linking those. You guys can go check them out. These people are so creative. I'm never, ever not amazed by what the literary community can band together and do. And I think it's such an art and I'm, it's, I mean, it's word art in a sense. And so I'm so excited that I can kind of link my other passion, which is music, to my first passion which is literature so I can't wait to link those and you guys can go check them out go give them a follow listen to their playlist I literally was jamming it jamming to it in my car today the couple that I found so that are inspired after our book today which is our first book and I can't wait to tell you guys what it is it's from a new author her name is Rachel Griffin and she wrote the nature of witches so the first thing that I want to dive into when talking about the nature of witches, the book is the author who is Rachel Griffin. Obviously, this is her first debut novel, so this is kind of interesting. So the beautiful thing about debut novels is that they don't have a built-up fan base. And kind of what I mean by that is when there's not a built-up fan base, there's not pressure to outdo themselves or divert from their medium or try to be different than what they originally are or there's no expectations that they have to supersede or follow. Because I think when you have these like fan bases and these people that come up with these passion projects for these amazing books and these amazing series that established authors have written, they feel a pressure from the fan bases to either outdo themselves or make similar works to the series that did so well. So for instance, like Stephanie Meyer or Victoria Aveyard or even Holly Black, like there is an expectation to continue writing in that realm, even though the series is done or do something similar to the series. And if the something similar to the series isn't as good, then, you know, they get a lot of hate for it not being as good. So for instance, like uh, when we talk about like Sarah J. Mass, so Sarah J. Mass has mastered the art of like responding to her fan base and she's continued to create in that world. And, you know, you see all these TikToks and all these Instagrams and everyone's always saying, you know, we hope that we're reading stories from um, Sarah J. Mass until we're like 90 years old. And so she's kind of mastered the art of keeping her fan base extremely happy. But, you know, you get these books that other authors write, other established authors write, and 
the fans just aren't happy. And it's almost like they kind of revolt in a sense and are like, well, that's not good. That's not what we wanted. And it's not, that's not true. Like, it's not what you wanted. Yes, but it's just different. And different isn't bad. It's just different. And so that's what I like about established, that's what I like about non-established authors because non-established authors are able to kind of create something that is special and unique. They're able to kind of go out there with their sword on this hill and say, this is me. This is my like creativity. This is my work. This is my passion project. Like if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. And they're not letting anybody down because there's nobody to let down because nobody knows anything about them. So that's kind of what I like about, um, debut novels and new authors. Um, so I'm excited to see some things from her in the future. Like I'm excited to see what she writes because in my opinion, this isn't going to be her first novel. Um, I don't think this will be the last that we see of her. Um, especially with looking at her ratings from Goodreads and Barnes and Nobles. Goodreads, last I checked, had given her a 4.1 out of 5. And Barnes and Nobles had given her a 4.2 out of 5, which is absolutely stunning for someone that is a new author and especially someone who hasn't even you know maybe doesn't even have a degree in English or writing or anything like that and that's not to say that anybody can't do it but she is an individual who sought out a degree in science so she is kind of taking that and running with it when it comes to writing which I applaud her for she's taking what she knows and she's running with it and so that's what makes this book kind of interesting is that she's managed to combine fantasy and science together for the greater good in a sense and it's got real world elements and it's it's practical but it's also fantastical and I think that's what's so interesting is that she's got so much going for her and that's what I love about this book is that she has managed to combine three elements into one but successfully do it and the other thing that I'd like to talk to her about or talk with you guys about I mean even ask her these questions is that she's able to talk about these politicized issues in her novel. And I think that's something that's interesting too. Like I said, with debut novels, there's not an established fan base. There's not like, oh, she's taking a side or, oh, she's doing this because she's this huge author that everybody knows. Like everyone's like, oh, you're like, you're from obscurity. Like nobody knows you. So you can do what you want in a sense. And that's what I think is so interesting. So she's able to tackle issues like climate change in this book. She's able to talk about these California wildfires and these warm days and winters that we have and like storms that are in the off season and things that like most authors have to kind of veer away from in a sense. And obviously writing is a medium. Writing is an art. Writing is something that is self-expressive and everyone's able to look at it and say, you know, it's open to interpretation. But anytime a public figure makes a comment on something that's potentially politicized, they face backlash. They face, you know, judgment. They face critique. And the thing about her doing this is that with her first novel, she's coming out with a bang saying, this is what's real. This is what's happening. This is an issue and we need to focus on it. And that's exactly what her novel does. The Nature of Witches talks about climate change. It talks about the fact that our world and deforestation and everything is real. Like she, she alludes to that and it's brave. I mean, it's a very ambitious project, especially for her first novel, but she does it beautifully. And I think we can credit that to her degree in science. Like she is a woman that is educated. She has a degree in science. She knows what she's talking about and she does it beautifully. She executes it well. And it's not, it's not blaming, you know, it's not saying this is, you know, this is this, this is this, you know, she's saying guys, like look at what's happening and realize, and she even incorporates the human view into it. She has human characters that aren't witches and the witches try to tell the human characters like, Hey, climate change is a real thing. Like climate change is real. Like we should look into what's happening that our earth 
it won't sustain this level of damage that we've put it under for much longer. And so it's thought provoking. It makes you step back and think like, Hey, like I've experienced this. Like I've experienced a warm day in winter. Hey, I lived in California when the wildfires were going on, or I lived in Australia when the wildfires were going on. So she's definitely taken the time to look at that and say, Hey, like she's done her research. Like she knows what she's talking about and it's ambitious for sure, but she executes it beautifully and it shouldn't be an issue that's politicized. I mean, she's just telling it how it is. And that's what kind of, I love about what Rachel Griffin has been able to accomplish. And obviously, you know, I talk about her degree in science and so she also, which I thought was kind of funny, this is kind of like off topic, but you know, I read her Goodreads bio. And so she, um, has like a little nod to Stephanie Meyer in there, which I think is kind of funny because she's from Forks, like she's from Washington. And obviously as we know that like Stephanie Meyer's Twilight series takes place in Forks, Washington. And so she kind of makes a little comment that like, oh, she hopes to see more vampires soon. So I'm curious to see if she'll start playing with the supernatural realm moving forward, or if that was just solely a nod to Stephanie Meyer and that she admires her, which I mean, who wouldn't admire Stephanie Meyer? She was able to create a, uh, supernatural vampire obsession that lasted the better part of a decade so really truly she's quite the genius herself so but that's a little bit about our author and I'm excited to see what we have from her in the future if she'll move to the more supernatural realm like she when she made that nod to Stephanie Meyer in her Goodreads bio or if she'll continue this science fantasy route with a little bit of the real world real world human involvement as well so I'm intrigued to see what we'll see from her because I think She's definitely got something interesting. And obviously with her tackling, you know, larger issues with her first novel, you know, we may expect to see that in the future. So I like that she's stepping out in front and saying, hey, like, this is what I believe. This is what this is about. This is my creativity. This is my passion project. I'm with my sword. I'm here to fight. But like, you know, at the end of the day, it's what I believe. It's what I want. It's what I want to do. And, you know, like, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. So that's what I thought was really interesting about her. So she's a good author. This is her debut novel, and I'm excited to see what we have for her in the future. And I will definitely be on the lookout for any more books that she writes. So before we dive into the actual book itself and the storyline, I want to talk about the cover of this book. The cover of this book is so unique. It's so different. It's super symbolic of the writing that is enclosed within the jacket, within the hardback. Um, and looking at it, it's just a piece of artwork, really. You have our main character who is on the front wearing this blue and purple dress that is supposed to be reminiscent of spring. You have these uh, autumn leaves that are sprawled across the front jacket and it's supposed to remind you of autumn, obviously. And then you have lightning and cyclones that are supposed to allude to kind of that spring and that summer that we see kind of come in and so it's super symbolic the entire front jacket is and not only the front jacket but when you take the book jacket off you get to the hardback and the hardback is so pretty like I don't know how else to say like how gorgeous it is but I had a friend who doesn't really read and she literally told me that she would buy this book simply to stare at the hardback cover without the book jacket on and I was like that's how you know it's pretty when someone that doesn't read appreciates how a book looks but even the hardback cover like by itself is stunning you know you have elements of butterflies which are symbolic of rebirth and rejuvenation which our main character explores that multiple times not only noting to the seasons and the person she becomes and changes into as the seasons change but also as a person so I thought that was an interesting nod. And we also have the plants that 
she talks about within the book that are kind of sprawled across the front page and it's super interesting too because like I said I'm on bookstagram and uh book talk I think that's what they call it all the time and so the black people complain about a lot they always say that their covers are super dark and like they don't like putting more black books on their bookshelves because it's just so dark but this lightens it up the flowers the plants the butterflies like it just is such a pretty book to look at and I love that I love that she's taken something so simple and added something kind of stunning really I mean it's just it's gorgeous to look at so I commend whoever did the work of art here because that's what it is it's a work of art and it's nice to look at and like honestly for all being honest you know the saying don't judge a book by its cover it rings true but at the same time as we all know, we want an aesthetic book. We like aesthetic books. They look good on our bookshelves. They look good when we're reading them out in public. Like we all want an aesthetic book at the end of the day. So props to the artist and props to our dear author, Rachel Griffin. Okay, so let's officially jump into the writing, which I have been so excited to do since I first started recording. Um, so obviously earlier I talked about how the book cover was extremely pretty and how the details are kind of symbolic but it also kind of links to the artwork in the book so obviously the seasons change and our author lets us know that by a page that's dedicated solely to autumn or to summer or to spring and we see those kind of come in with a plant that's attached to to attach to it and that's kind of a nod to one of the main characters in the book I think his name is Song Song I think singer Song we'll say Song um, but to song and that artwork on the front also kind of is encased inside the book as well. So I thought that was super interesting. And so I also like how we have different plants that are represented when we get to that page that the author's letting us know that the storyline's switching. So for summer, there's a different plant for autumn, there's a different plant for winter and spring, there's different plants. And so I thought that was interesting. I also kind of thought that was a nod, like I said earlier, to her background in science. So she really is incorporating um, environmentalism into the book. Um, and she's kind of using our main character song to do it. Well, not our main character, but one of our other main characters to do it. Um, and so I thought that was interesting. So art is kind of incorporated in there, um, not just on the front cover, but throughout the book. So I thought that was something that was super special and I, I kind of liked it. So I wanted to kind of share that with you guys. But um now let's like officially open and I guess discuss this book. I'm excited to do it. I've been kind of, I don't know if putting it off is the right word, but I've just been like, I've not been wanting the story to end. So I'm like, if I sit down and record this, like then I'll like be done talking about it. So I've been kind of saving the best uh, for last, so to speak. So I guess we'll just open it up. So obviously the story starts with a uh, Clara Densmore, and Clara Densmore is an Everwitch, which means she is tied to all four seasons, which is kind of the anomaly amongst the other witches in her academy, in her field. So there are other witches, and these, the job of these witches is to protect the environment. And so you have witches that are tied to one specific season and one specific season only. So one witch is tied to spring while another witch may be tied to winter and um the winter witch isn't at full capacity in spring and the spring witch the spring witch isn't in full capacity in winter and so they operate on you know half function throughout the rest of the year until they're in their designated season and claire dunsmore she 
operates um, on her powers, full capacity, all the time. Because when the seasons change, so do her powers. And so being tied to all four seasons is this amazing gift, and it doesn't happen very often. I think in the beginning of the book, it says it happened about 200 years ago, and the last witch that it happened to, her name was Alice. And so it's been 200 years, and the world is in a state of environmental hardship and and, and climate disaster. Things are happening, and the witches are also tied to the humans. And that's kind of what I talked about earlier, how... Rachel brings in this sense of real world as well. So the witch's job is to keep balance in between the human world and their world and try to create some sort of medium for everyone, I think, is the correct word. I mean, they all have to live under this earth, and so their job is to protect it. And so Clara, more than anyone, really, because that's her job. You know, she is more powerful than anyone else and so but because she's powerful it kind of comes at a cost so the story starts and we open up with Clara who is just reeling from this uh fire exercise so basically they're out on the field and what I thought was interesting about this is that we're starting to get an inner monologue of the anxiety that she has and so we learn super early on that this anxiety is not based on failure it's based on the fact that or or solely failure, I should say. It's based on the fact that her failure stems from fearing that someone is going to die because of her, not embarrassing herself or not having any of that. It's more so that she's afraid that someone's going to get hurt from her power. And so we learn what she's truly capable of when we have a flashback to her killing her best friend. And so we start that off, and I thought that was a very interesting origin point. So... She's got PTSD. I think that's the first thing to talk about. And that's what I kind of wanted to touch on because I feel like a lot of times when we do podcasts and when we talk about books, that the main character, their mental state kind of gets ignored. So we talk about everything that happens due to their mental state, but we don't actually focus in on their mental state. So Claire is suffering from some PTSD. I mean, she's got some issues. You know, her best friend has just died and we learn later down the line obviously, that she also lost her parents due to her power. So her power seeks out people that she cares about. And so, obviously, she is afraid of her power. It's not fear of failure. It's not, I'm going to embarrass myself. It's not, I'm afraid because I'm different than everybody else. It's, I'm afraid that I'm going to hurt someone. And that's why she's in this perpetual state of PTSD and anxiety and isolation and Honestly, it's not healthy. And so we see the incident that has shifted her from an anomaly to maybe an enigma. And so she struggles, I think, even more so being on her own. And so the administration took her from main campus and put her into this tiny little house. And when I was reading that, I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, this girl is like in a house by herself all alone. And I was like, her best friend just died. And I was like, you're letting her grieve alone with no support from anyone. And I was like, she really doesn't have friends already. And I was like, she's by herself in a house alone. I was like, that makes sense. Okay, great. Good on you, admin. But honestly, like, we'll get into that later because let's be honest, Miss Suntile and Mr. Burroughs, terrible people, terrible people, terrible people. Um, but obviously she's dealing with some PTSD and so then we dive deeper into how 
we learn about how her power is connected to nature and the consequences that come with it. And so, like I said, you know, her parents have died and her best friend has died, but it's not just the death that follows her. It's also who she is. So obviously we start in summer where she talks about how she lives for kind of the spur of the moment decisions. And like, that's how summer is for a lot of people. You know, it's licking ice cream and it's, staying out late and bonfires and I just it's a happy time and then fall comes and we shift into that more melancholy slow mood in a sense and it's that way for her except I think 10,000 times worse she essentially becomes a new person as the season changes and so I'm opening up my book right now I feel like I'm at book club honestly um But we start with the relationship that she has with Josh right off the bat. And so, obviously, she kind of warns Josh that, hey, when autumn hits, I'm not going to feel the same way about you. I'm only really interested in you right now because it's summer and I want someone. And I don't think he really believes her. And then, obviously, we have um, the first day of autumn come and she just becomes a totally different person, becomes distant from him. And then we learn about this, like, bet that he does, which I think was honestly super sleazy. Like, his bet with the rest of the boys was so sleazy. Like, this woman knows herself. Like, like this lady knows herself. Like, I, I don't think that, like, your incredible skills of being, you know, a good person or a good man, which you're not a good person, first off, but being some sort of, like, macho man or is really going to change her mind. Like, excuse you, no. Um, But obviously, we see their end as he heads back to his academy. And so, we kind of see her shift from this... I don't know if passionate's the right word because I think she's still reeling from PTSD and the guilt of her best friend dying, but... I think her mood changes from that passion is shifted into a more subdued calm, I would say. So I think what passion she did have is subdued um, when autumn comes. And so obviously, like I said, so Josh is gone and we're introduced to the character kind of very early in the beginning of the book, which is Mr. Hart. And can I just say, what a man. Like, a true hero. Like, a true hero of a man. Like, so sweet. The kindest person. And honestly, he got a lot of hate. He had a lot of hate from the other administration, and he was just trying to do his job. And I think he really cared about Clara. And it's so upsetting to me that, like, all throughout the book that we learned that we learned that he was going to be replaced And obviously it made way for a lot of other things to happen, but he literally just like cared about her like his own child. And I think that was important because Claire didn't really have anybody in the sense of parental figures when her parents were killed. And so I think he kind of stepped in and filled that like parental role for her, which I thought was so important. And so obviously I think his passing hit her just as hard as her own parents or even her best friend because this was a special relationship to her, but we'll dive into that later. So obviously back to autumn. So autumn comes and so we end that relationship with Josh and we progress into the storm that's coming. It's a storm that wasn't supposed to happen. The witches didn't make it um, and it's not supposed to be there. It's due to 
negligent behavior on the environment. And with that negligent behavior on the environment, the witches have to figure out how to stop it. And so we learn about the concept of depletion. So that's when a witch draws too much energy from their own reserve that causes them to die. And so obviously Clara isn't at full capacity because she's suffering from PTSD. So she's supposed to be able to do a lot of stuff, but she can't do it because she's struggling and she's struggling even more because she's in isolation. Like, come on, like you really think someone that has just lost their best friend is going to be doing well? No. And you're putting all this pressure on her to perform and she can't perform and the power kills anybody she loves, but you're mad at her. Like, hello, no, excuse you, administration. Like, take a step back. Like, take some pressure off this poor child and like breathe. Like I know that she's the answer to all your prayers, but like I know the situation is dire. But like the answer is not to continue to isolate and pressure her. It's to be understanding and guide with a loving hand, which is what Mr. Hart was trying to do before he died and before you decided you wanted to replace him. Excuse you. Anyways, back to my rant. <laughs> so Clara is supposed to be able to tap into greater reserves, obviously, because she's always in season. So witches die of depletion normally when they're out of their own season, when they're, af when they're operating at basically half capacity. And so, and so Clara, knowing what she's able to do, well, honestly, she doesn't really go out there to save the day. That's really not her intention. She's not trying to be a heroine. She's really just trying to hide out. She actually goes looking for her cat. Her cat goes missing. Her little cat knocks. And she goes out into the storm to try to find her cat. And she meets Sang. And so Sang is obviously her love interest, the other main character in this book. And she goes out and she ends up meeting him. And he has her cat. And she's so thankful. But she's like, dude, who are you? Why do you have my cat? Where did you come from? So they explain, you know, who each other is. And they try to basically race back to the academy. Um, and so she finds two spring witches that are trying to deter the cyclone that's happening in the middle of their campus. But they risk depletion. And so then that's when Sang finds out that she's an everwitch because she says, well, you know, heck, maybe I can fix this. You know, I'm not much good in wildfire practice but maybe I can you know do a cyclone but I'm like sis you know let's not push it I'm like you just like not even a chapter ago couldn't get a control on your power but like hey props to you for trying that's kind of what I was thinking as I was reading the book but you know inner thoughts so she's not able to deter the cyclone and so I mean she is able to dismantle some of it I would say which honestly shows you know some progress we've got some progress but obviously her power is still unpredictable and it doesn't really work most of the time or when she wants it to because that anxiety is overtaking her life so she does try to stop the storm her and saying get back to the academy or they get back to safety okay they make it out alive and we find out though that her teacher, her beloved teacher, her father figure, Mr. Hart, unfortunately does not make it out of the storm, okay? He was out looking for her cat and he doesn't make it out. And so honestly, 
again, another death tied to her power, she feels like, because she feels responsible. So it's another death added on. So her death toll right now is four. So her parents and then her best friend and now Mr. Hart. And so everyone she ever loves just dies on her. So it's no wonder that her mental state is in complete like disarray and no one's really giving her any grace until Sang comes in. So Sang is this spring witch and he is known to be extremely good with plants um, and his magic has what they would call a calming presence to it. And so they pick Sang to train with her just because he's able to create sort of an environment that's balanced and harmonious. And so they basically say, you know, if you don't start training with him, you're going to end up training with Mr. Bros, which we'll get into him because that son of a gun, terrible, horrible human being, can I add. He was my least favorite character throughout the entire book when I was reading it. I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, literally like, who do you think you are? Um, But his magic kind of has a calming presence to it. So putting them together made sense. And so it was just so interesting to me how their dynamic unfolded and kind of what was bore out of their magic coming together. Because obviously at the end of the book, we find out that she's able to access the power from the witches that are out of season, are out of season to full capacity. And so that was kind of like hitting the nail on the head for me in a sense. I was like, oh, this makes sense. I was like, I see where we're going here. I was like, this is interesting. Um, so obviously at the end of the book, she is able to kind of reset her magic and she doesn't end up having to hurt anybody she loves anymore by going out into the full eclipse, which a witch isn't supposed to be able to do. But obviously, since Clara is so magical and she's so strong that she's able to go out and face it and reset. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a synopsis of the book. I'm going to dive into my character reviews, what I liked, what I didn't, what was interesting, what I found a little bit more on the lacking side. I hate to say boring, but you know, you know what I mean. So I guess let's start with Clara. So obviously, like I said earlier, like Clara obviously like has some PTSD and she like does a lot of self-work throughout the book. And I think that was good. I think having Alice's memoir, which Mr. Hart gives to her, the personal journals are important. Um, the one thing that I would say though about Alice's journal incorporating it to the book, I felt like it was kind of an afterthought because we didn't really learn that much from Alice because as we hear all the time, you know, Clara says she feels alone. She doesn't really know what she's going through. She's chosen magic like over love and over happiness. And I don't really, Clara didn't really want to hear that. I think she was going through like a really tough time and she was like, well, like I can't have both. Like I'm further isolating myself and then we figure out that Alice like also lived this like hermit life and so it almost seemed like well the only other ever which we know of also was a hermit with no life so that's great so I just wish that Alice's memoirs maybe would have been a bigger help and obviously that that was further explained which I did like her saying you know I'm gonna write a full explained memoir for the next witch which I thought was so interesting because which I did like is 
I'm opening my book now, but they have quotes like when the new chapter starts. So for chapter 40, it says the shaders insist that seeing an eclipse can be life-changing. It seems they are correct. A season for everything. So a season for everything is the book that her and uh, saying like end up writing together. And so I thought that was really interesting. I thought that was kind of cool that she had that incorporated in there. Cause I knew that these quotes weren't for nothing. Like I knew that these quotes had some significance at the end of the book. So I kind of like how she tied it all in where she was like, I'm going to write a book. And she's like, I'm going to make an, a difference for the next ever witch that comes because Alice's memoirs were so lacking because she discovered this magic that she could pull from other witches but you know all Alice ever referred to it was as magic so she's like I'm gonna be more specific I'm gonna put things in there that can help and so I thought that was kind of cool like she did round it out very nicely um I wish we would have gotten to hear maybe a little bit more of Alice's story but I do understand keeping the focus on um Clara and her journey um but yeah that was kind of my thought process on Clara I did feel bad for the girl you know I did feel bad for her I know a lot of people have been saying like oh you know she was an underdeveloped character she didn't really know what was going on but I don't necessarily see Clara this way you know I don't see her as an underdeveloped character I think because she switches seasons so often is that's why she comes across as underdeveloped because she's so wishy-washy and I don't think that she's indecisive or that she can't make a decision again it all goes back to the fact that she is an everwitch so she changes and so that's not underdeveloped that's a lot of development and time that our author has spent kind of building this character four times over because she has to change every single season so I thought that was kind of unique so props to the author but like I said she's been doing stuff like this from the very beginning okay so to switch directions now we're going to talk a little bit about saying we're going to switch our focus from Clara to saying a little bit we're going to go with saying as the pronunciation because I'm really not quite sure I feel like a lot of the times authors write these really cool characters with these really cool names and you just don't know how to pronounce them so we're gonna we're in a roll with saying if you actually know the correct pronunciation send it my way in my dms at lit.crit.podcast um but send it my way if you actually know the pronunciation you can send me like a voice memo or something but we're gonna switch focus to him i absolutely loved his character his character felt so developed so strong when i was reading this book i literally could picture him sitting on the couch next to me that's how real he felt and that's what i loved about him and i think that was intentional by the author because clara feels very underdeveloped to most readers just because she comes across as wishy-washy and that's because she really isn't defined because she's defined by the seasons and so when the seasons change she changes and so it makes her come across like i said earlier a little wishy-washy a little indecisive about things but in contrast to that he is so strong he's so sturdy he's so constant and that's what i absolutely adored about him is that he felt so real like i literally felt like i could reach out and touch his hand like i felt like he was talking to me while I was reading like across the couch and I was like oh my gosh I was like he just feels so real to me and so his character was probably he was my, he was my favorite character by far I just loved him I loved him so much um what I really didn't like about him though is that Mr. Burroughs was his mentor and obviously I know that brought him to Clara and that's what his storyline was for the school but honestly the fact that he defended him kind of till the end until she like comes up until Claire comes up and punches him in the middle of the dining hall which honestly fantastic scene fantastic scene I um 
I still was like, I don't know why you're defending this man. I was like, Mr. Bro sucks. I was like, he's a terrible human being. I was like, I don't know why you're defending him. And he was like, you have your mentors. I have mine. I was like, dude, like, I don't know why you have that. This man has no redeeming qualities. I don't know why you're defending him. I also love that he is a spring witch. That was the other thing that I loved about him about saying is that he has this like very calming quality to him and obviously that's kind of what connected them with his calming magic so it helped uh Clara kind of get where she needed to go as far as you know putting the work in to get past a lot of the PTSD and you know fear of using her magic but I loved his calming presence not only with magic but just in her life just in other people's lives like he was such a calm neutral personality which is so weird to me why he well it's not weird to me I should say because if it was weird because as a calm neutral personality I could see him not wanting to start any issues with Mr. Burroughs especially being grateful for this advanced placement program that he's in but at the same time I just I don't know it makes sense I guess it makes sense when I talk it out but I don't know. I just, I loved him. He had this calming presence. The other thing that I loved about them, I'm going to talk about a couple of the scenes that I really liked between uh, Song and Clara. So the scene that I loved, I don't know if I, I may have touched on this earlier, but when they're communicating with the flowers in the field, I thought that was the most ingenious way. I was like, this is like symbolism to a T. And I was like, they are killing it. Like I was like, our author is killing it. Like this is the best way to say like words left unspoken. And they're using flowers to communicate their feelings and to talk and just to, I I was obsessed. Like I was obsessed with that scene for probably a good several days. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, she has literally created magic with this scene. So I loved, I loved that. The other scene that I really liked between them were any of the scenes when it came to the balls. So any of like the autumn ball or the spring ball or the winter ball, like any of those scenes were like pure magic for them and him creating these elaborate floral arrangements and like her noticing them and being like they're so intricate they're so beautiful they're so different like that was like amazing to me I was like oh my gosh I was like they're connecting over these like beautiful simple things and it is something so simple like the floral arrangements are something that's so simple in the grand scale of like how big these balls are and how important they are to like their culture and how important they are to the school and they're taking and she I mean Clara's taking time to be like hey like these floral arrangements are different they look different they look better than they ever have and that's all thanks to him so I love that that's like a little moment they share the other moment that I thought was so important that I think feels very real to me is the moment after the lightning incident so obviously there's a lightning incident and he gets hurt in the process and so she stays with him to kind of make sure he's okay and the next morning we wake up and with them and she's in his apartment and they're making tea and she's going through his paintings and his drawings and all the different herbs and teas he has and that moment feels so intimate between them it's almost like oh my gosh this feels like real like this is like she gave us this window into this very like intimate moment for the two of them and they have a lot of these if you kind of pay attention throughout the book like they have a, a moment like this in the greenhouse when he's showing her his research between the two of them and she kind of says something similar to that she says you know I only want this to be an us thing like I can't believe that you know we're gonna have to let other people in on this and she was obviously I want to share this good news that plants can be you know 
not harm in the process of being ripped out of the earth, but she says, this is just, I want this to be an us thing. So they had these really like beautiful, like intimate moments throughout the book. And I kind of love that. It's like a little window into like all the chaos that's going on. They have these like really cool, intimate moments. So I love that for them. That was like, I just loved reading and seeing their relationship kind of blossom. And my favorite quote from their entire relationship beginning to end, even when we have the whole scene of her almost dying and facing the stinking eclipse, um, he says to her, you are the most magnificently disruptive thing that's ever entered my life. And I was like, done. After that quote, I was like, okay, game over. I'm done. We're good. Like I can, we can end here. So couple goals. I really liked them. They were, they were definitely a solid read. They balanced each other out extremely well, especially obviously seeing as how she like learns to accept herself with the help of him and through her powers and, you know, learning that she can draw on other witches powers through their relationship. So I thought it was kind of a nice little bow on top, if you know what I mean. So that's it for our book discussion. I decided not to focus in on our supporting characters just because I felt like for this book specifically, I wanted to focus in on our two main characters and how they drove the storyline. So I'm super excited to kind of wrap up our first podcast. I'm sad that it's almost done, but if you guys do want me to talk about the supporting characters, let me know. They were definitely a huge part of this, but just for this book's purposes, I felt like it was important to focus in on our two main characters and kind of how they drove the storyline and the plot. So um, to switch notes, I don't know if you guys are like me, but when a book is done, when I've finished a book, I'm looking for ways to kind of continue it. So that's usually me scrolling through Bookstagram and looking for other reviews of the nature of witches or what else the author has written. In this case, I'm a huge music lover. I talked about that a little bit earlier in the podcast. And so I instantly went to my streaming services. And so I found playlists that are inspired by the book. So one of them is by Jennifer Ray's. Her playlist is entitled The Nature of Witches. She's got a really cool cover photo. It's of the book and she's got like rose petals around it and some other like candles and stuff. It looks super cool, but it's an hour and 10 minutes. It has some really cool artists on it. So it's got like Aurora and Taylor Swift and Lana Del Rey and so it's super good I've been listening to it all week I've either been blasting it in my car or I've been putting it on while I've been working I absolutely love it and the other one that's on Spotify is also entitled The Nature of Witches it's got a really cool picture of some flowers of some white flowers and it's by Janie Jansen's and it's an hour and eight minutes and it's got a lot of the same artists so it's got like Taylor Swift and Aurora, but it's also got Beyonce and Harry Styles. So there's a little bit of different variety, but they're both inspired by like the book, The Nature of the Witches, which I think is super cool because like I said, people in the literary world are so creative. And so I love seeing what people are able to kind of come up with. I looked on Apple Music, but I couldn't find anything that was created specifically for this book in particular. But I will link both of those playlists on my Instagram. You guys should look it up, lit.crit.podcast. Um, thank you guys so much for listening in, taking the time, and I will see everyone next week.